Good morning. This morning we're starting a brand new series called This Is What We Do. Anybody figured out what we do yet? Well, hopefully over the next few weeks we're going we're gonna to unpack what we do, what we're called to do. But today, this, today's message and this series is really about generosity and living a generous life. And I know some of you already are going, oh no, we're talking about generosity. Because the reality is a lot of us feel uncomfortable when we start talking about generosity. And my prayer is that this series will change all of that. This series will, will help us understand what it means to live generous lives. Because here's what I want you to know. This series is not about giving or getting your money. This series is not about what you give. It's about how we live. And living lives that are generous. Living lives that, that, that have the characteristics of generosity. Because the, the truth of the matter is there is a huge difference a huge difference between giving and generosity. You see, giving is something that we often feel that we have to do. Where generosity is something we get to do. Giving is often done out of obligation or because we feel guilty. Where generosity is a lifestyle. It is the way that we live the entirety of our lives. You see, giving and generosity are vastly different. Giving is an act where generosity is an attitude. Having spent some time a couple of weeks ago in Haiti, um, it really helped me realize a lot of aspects about my own life. If you've ever been on a mission trip or ever been overseas uh, to a third world country, you begin to grasp uh, just the, the different lifestyle that we live here in the States versus people that live in those countries. And it really opens your eyes to how truly blessed you and I are. It reveals just how rich we actually are. And just that statement, many of you are going, yeah, I don't feel rich. Because here's the reality. We don't feel rich, but we are. And we think we're generous, but we aren't. Let me say that again. We don't feel rich, but we are. And we think we're generous, but we aren't. And it's true of my life too. I mean, most of us in this room don't feel rich, but we are. Why don't you feel rich? Because there's always somebody richer. I tried to do a Google search of the, rich, the wealthiest person in the world. And in 2020, you know how many times it's changed in two months? I couldn't count them all. Because there's always somebody richer. There's always somebody well off. So when we begin to compare ourselves to each other, what begins to happen? We begin to look and say, well, that person, he's got more than I have. She has more than I do. And so we begin to feel like we're not rich. But then the other, on the flip side of it, when we begin to compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we begin to understand just how extraordinarily blessed we are. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this. Think about all the things that we take for granted. How many of you ate at a restaurant this week? Just slip your hands up. Okay. Well, vast majority of us. So most of you this week, get this, you got in a car and you drove to a restaurant. And probably, I'm just guessing, but I bet the majority of you drove past a dozen other restaurants to get to your favorite, right? And you get to your favorite, and then you get a little put out. 
because there's a 15, 20 minute wait. You're like, you got to be kidding me. Why are all these people coming to my restaurant? And you get put out because you have to wait 15, 20 minutes at your restaurant. But once you do get a table, what happens? There's a, get this, there's a person that walks up to your table and takes your order. And then they take what you want, that order, and they take it back to the kitchen. And there are people in the kitchen, get this, this is going to blow your mind. There are people in the kitchen that prepare the food for you. They literally make the food for you. You don't have to cook it yourself. Amazing thing happens after that. They bring the food to you, to your table. And you get to eat as much as you want of the food that is placed before you. You get to eat until you're full. You guys are filthy rich. But then not only that, they, when you leave, somebody comes and takes the dishes. And they take them to the back and they actually clean the dishes for you. It's crazy how wealthy you are. But not only that, as you drove home, if you're like me, the moment you get in your driveway, what do you do? You push a button. And what happens? This door opens up. It's unbelievable. This door opens up, and you drive your car into its own house. It's crazy. You guys are filthy rich. You drive your car into it. And some of you, some of you have two or three car houses. And some of you have so much stuff, your car has to sleep outside because there's no room in his house. That's how rich we are. That's how ridiculously wealthy we are. But not only that, at some point, you got to go to the bathroom. And have you ever stopped to thank God that the fact that you push a button or pull a lever and everything goes away? <laughs> there are people, while we were in Haiti, that there's no button to push. It doesn't go away. It goes in a hole. stays there. That's how wealthy we are. Then we all got to sleep in comfortable beds. With a pillow and a blanket? You woke up, many of you woke up this morning, you walked into a closet that was full of clothes, didn't you? And you look at all those clothes, wall-to-wall clothes, and, and what do you do after looking through all those clothes? What do you say? I got nothing to wear! That's how wealthy and rich we actually are. So we think that we're not rich, but we are. We also think that we're generous, but we aren't. The average American gives 2.8% of their income away. They donate 2.8%. That's the average person. Donates 2.8%. But here's the bad news. The more you make, the less we tend to give. I was reading a study this week that, that said if you make over $100,000 a year, it drops from 2.8% to 2.6%. The more we make, the less we tend to give. That's not, gener- that's not being generous. That's not God honoring. That's not what we do. You see, as Christ followers, we do something completely different. As Christ followers, we lead the way in generosity. We lead the way in generosity in our time, our talents, and our treasures. 
We lead the way in generosity because we understand and we know that it is far greater, it's far more of a blessing to give than it is to receive. Now, before you start feeling guilty, because I don't want any of you to feel guilty this morning, I know that the majority of us want to be more generous than we are. I know it's true in my own life. I want to be more generous than we can, than we can be. And most of us want to give more. We want to invest more. We want to give more time, talent, and treasure. And the reason we don't is because we feel like we can't. It's just the truth. The reason we don't live generous lives because we feel like we can't. And here's what I call this. I call this the scarcity mindset. I call this the scarcity mindset. And you can, you can hear it in the language we use, can't you? And you can say, well, there's just not enough. There's, there's, I, I would love to give, but, but I can't. There's, there's more month than money at the end of the month, right? And you can hear it in our language, and our language speaks to the fact that we live oftentimes in this scarcity mindset, because we say things like, I can never get ahead. I can never get ahead. There's always more. I wish I could give more, but I can't afford to. And we say those type of things. But here's the challenge. Scarcity is a cycle. It's a cycle that any of us, all of us have been in and can't get in in a moment's notice. And this cycle continues to repeat itself over and over and over again. And here's what it looks like. Here's what happens in the scarcity cycle. First and foremost, God supplies. Because you realize this, you go to work tomorrow, you're not supplying for your needs. God is. God is the one that supplied you with a job. God is the one that supplied you with a paycheck. God is the one that supplies all that we need. And so the scarcity mindset says this, God supplies, and what do we do? We consume. The first thing we do is we consume. We begin to spend. We begin to, to take what God has supplied, and we begin to consume it for ourselves. And so what happens is we consume, the more we consume as we, as we take what it has, because what the reality is we feel like it's ours, right? We feel like all of it is mine, so therefore I should be able to consume it the way I want to. So we begin to consume, and we begin to spend, and what happens at the end of the month, there's nothing left. And so once we begin to consume first, what happens, there's nothing left, and then what happens, we begin to lack, we consume first, and then we lack. And when we lack, what is the dominant emotion that we begin to feel? Fear. Fear. We consume, we lack, we fear. We consume, we lack, we fear. And this cycle continues to repeat itself over and over and over again in our lives. And I know many of you feel like you're in that cycle right now. This cycle of scarcity where you consume first, then you begin to lack, and then you begin to fear. But as Jesus' followers, listen to this, as Jesus' followers, we do something different. We have a completely different mindset. Because of what God has done for us, we do something different. And this is what we do. We live and give generously. We live and give generously. Why? Because of what God has done for us. In fact, Paul talked about what giving and generosity looks like as he wrote to the church in Corinth. And he wrote many times about 
how we give and, and, and throughout his epistles. But in this particular point, this is one that we, a passage that we're all familiar with. And here's what he said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. He says, the point is this. The point is this. And, and up until this, so we've got to know what this is that he's pointing to. And he's pointing to this, this, uh, the collection that was taken for the Christians in Jerusalem. Because if you're not familiar with the story, the church in Jerusalem was being persecuted tremendously. And they were, they were lacking, not because of their own uh, consumption, but because of the persecution they were facing. And so Paul wrote to the churches that he had pastored and led and started and said, we need to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And, so he goes, so th and then he goes, so this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Look at verse 7. Each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God does what? Loves a cheerful giver. And get this in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Did you catch all of that? Listen to what he's saying. He said, listen, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, Paul is emphasizing the word all, understanding that God is in control of it all, so that you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, this is God, supplies seed to the sower and bread for, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So Paul here is talking about what we do. Because this is what we do. We decide in our hearts what we're to give. And then we give generously. And I love his instructions. Paul says, don't give reluctantly. Don't give because of pressure. Don't give because someone is forcing you to give. In other words, if you feel manipulated to give, if you feel coerced to give, if you feel pressured to give, do not give. Those aren't my words, those are God's. Do not give. And I would say the same thing to you today. If you feel that way today, if you, if you ever feel like you are pressured to give, manipulated to give, coerced to give, do not give. Because the reality is this message is not about what we want from you, it's what I want for you. Because as you see in that passage, God promises blessing and He promises that He will supply, He will multiply when we live generously and when we give generously. So this is not what we want from you. This is what I believe God wants for you. Which is why I feel like He's led me to teach this, these lessons over the next few weeks and what it means for us to, to live generous lives and to give generously of our time, our talent, and our treasures. This is what we do. We give cheerfully, joyfully, willingly. And then notice what God does. Let's look at what God does in that passage. 
God generously provides what we need. God generously supplies what we need. Notice that this isn't lack. This isn't scarcity, is it? No, God overflows instead. When we sow, God supplies. When we give, God provides. That's what Paul is teaching, the principle he's teaching. So as followers of Jesus, this is what we do. We give generously. And what does God do? Look at verse 10 again. God multiplies abundantly. We give generously, and God multiplies abundantly. This isn't lack. This isn't scarcity. This is abundance. This is blessing. God multiplies, and then look what happens. It produces a harvest of generosity in us. It produces a harvest of generosity. God blesses, and He multiplies. And then Paul says this. He says, you will be enriched in every way. You'll be enriched in every way. See, when we give generously, God enriches us in every way. When we give generously, those that benefit begin to thank God. They begin to praise God. And listen to what happens. God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. Let me show you how this new cycle, a new cycle that Christ followers have. Instead of a cycle of scarcity, which is consume lack and fear we have a new cycle a cycle of abundance and the cycle of abundance says this that first and foremost we give that's the first thing we do is we give the very first thing we do is we give we give because of because it's an act of worship we give because christ gave to us that's the first thing we do doesn't say we don't consume it just says the first thing we do is is give where the where the the cycle of scarcity, the first thing you do is consume, and then at the end of the month you want to give, but there's nothing left because you've lacked and you now have fear. This new cycle, the cycle of the Christ follower says this, the first thing we do is give. We give because Christ gave to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. We give because He gave to us. And what does God do? God multiplies. God multiplies. He multiplies what we give. And then we don't fear, but instead our faith grows. Our faith begins to grow when we begin to give first and God multiplies and our faith grows. And what happens is we begin to give some more and God begins to multiply more and it creates this cycle of abundance, this, this idea of gener this harvest of generosity of the goodness of God, this righteousness that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 9. But here's what I want you to hear. This only works in God's economy. This is a ridiculously stupid idea apart from God. Because it only works in His economy. It doesn't make any sense intellectually to give away a portion of what we make in order to make ends meet, does it? It just doesn't make sense. But what happens is when we begin to worship God first and foremost with our generosity, He breaks the cycle of scarcity and produces in us this cycle of abundance. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, I want, you, I want to be very clear on this point. I am not talking about an abundance of stuff. I'm not talking about an abundance of things. God is not like an ATM machine where you put something in and you get something out. 
Not what I'm talking about at all. I'm not talking about a, 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 a prosperity gospel or get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not talking about any of that. What I'm talking about is this cycle of abundance which says that God will multiply our time, our talents, and our treasures for His glory. And He will give us an abundance of righteousness, is what Paul says. An abundance of righteousness, an abundance of generosity. He will transform our hearts. That's what he promises to give. He will, he will, he will transform who we are by, through, through our generous giving. Not things, not stuff, not more money, but abundance of righteousness, an abundance of faith, an abundance of generosity. So I want to talk a few moments just about the power of, of generous giving for a few minutes. See, first and foremost, when we give generously, here's what happened. Generosity teaches us to put God first. Generosity teaches us to put God first. See, when we give first, and this is a practice that Nicole, Nicole and I have been practicing for almost 22 years as a couple. The first thing we do when we receive a paycheck is we give to God. This is the very first thing before we consume, before we start buying anything, before we do it. Now, does that mean that everything's been honky-dory financially throughout our lives? No, there's been challenges. There's been times where things are tight. But what it has done, it, is, it has increased our faith in God. It has caused us to say, you know what, God, we're going to put you first. We're going to break the chain that money can have on us the shackles that, that stuff can have on us, and we're going to put you first. Why? Because generous giving requires that we arrange, we rearrange all of our lives around putting God first. It means that we, we intentionally, purposefully put him, put him first. It is one of the primary ways. Our generous giving is one of the primary ways that we put God first and trust Him with the rest of the areas in our lives. Second thing generous giving does, it builds our faith. Generosity builds our faith. It simply does. It requires faith for you to give to God first. But have you noticed that it doesn't require any faith to give to God last? That doesn't require faith at all. If something's left, you give. That's not faith. Faith is when you say, God, I'm going to give to you first and foremost. I'm going to give to you the very first thing, and it builds our faith. As a matter of fact, there's only one time in Scripture where God tells us to test him. And it's in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And he says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. See, this is the only place in Scripture where God says, put me to the test. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you will give me your first and your best, if you will give me your first and your best, I will bless the rest. And that's what he's calling us to do in giving generously, in living generously. We give him our first. We give him our best. And he says, I will take care of the rest. I will bless the rest. Here's what I've discovered over the years, that 90% with God's blessing is always greater than 100% without. 
90% with God's blessing is always, always, always greater than 100% without. So living generously, giving generously puts God first. It increases and grows our faith. And the third thing, it provides for the work of God's church. Provides for the work of God's church. That's the way God designed His work to be funded, His work to be advanced, His kingdom to move forward. How many of us would say that we've been blessed through the ministry of a church? Yeah, I mean, most of us have. See, here's what happens. when you You know how you receive that blessing? Somebody before you, somebody other than you gave. And when they gave, you received the blessing. That's what Paul's talking about at the end of, of, uh, of 2 Corinthians 9. Listen to what he says. He puts it this way. In verse 12, he says, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, what happens is this. We give, and when we do, it impacts the lives of others. And many thanksgivings flow to the throne of God. And that's the way God designed His church to function. When you and I give, the work of God goes forward and it blesses other people. And as a result of them being blessed, there's thanksgiving to God. So giving generously increases our faith. It it puts God first. It increases our faith. It provides for the work of the church. But here's the question that all of us have to ask. How much do we give? For those of you who are in life group this morning, that was a big discussion. I was just chuckling back there thinking, okay, we're going to be talking about this today. (laughs) Because the topic came up. So how much should we give? How How much do we give? See, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to give 10% to the Levitical priest. But actually it was more than that because there were multiple tithes that they were to offer to the priest as well as, as uh, different offerings of their, of their resources. So it ended up being about 23%. And some of you are going, all right, I'm out of here if he asks for 23%. <laughs> Done. But that's, just, that's the Old Testament. But here, the reality is, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to give 10% to the Levitical priest, to the religious teachers. Now, today people argue for and against 10%. We had it this morning, didn't we? For those of you who are at Life Group, there was arguments for and there was arguments against 10%. Against the tithe. You see, some people say, well, it's the Old Testament. Old Testament law doesn't apply to the New Covenant believers. Christ came to fulfill the law, which is absolutely true. Christ did come to fulfill the law. And the, the Old Testament law doesn't necessarily apply to us. And so there's truth in that. So many will say, well, the Old Testament is, is the law, and we're not under the law. We are under Christ, and therefore the tithe is not commanded of us, is required of us. But then there's other people on the other side, and they'll say, well, yeah, but it's a solid principle in Scripture. Therefore, the tithe should be what we give. We should give a tithe. And so it becomes this legalistic debate of 10% or not 10%, and then we begin to argue back and forth, and we begin to discuss back and forth, and we begin to, to, to create this, this idea of, okay, well, if I do that, then, then I'm giving properly. And so here's the reality. The answer we have to first and foremost do is we have to define biblical giving in order to understand how much we are to give. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to define biblical giving because the reality is We're not under the law, 
And the Old Testament commanded the 10%. But at the same time, their Old Testament is still relevant to us as New Testament Christians. And so what is it, how do we answer this? Let's talk about biblical giving. Because see, while the tithe may be a good baseline for giving, it's far, it's far from an accurate picture of biblical giving. We talked about this morning. First of all, tithing predates the Old Testament law. Who was the first person to ever give a tithe? Anybody? Abraham. Abraham predates Moses. He predates the law. So before God gave the law and commanded 10%, Abraham gave a tithe to this high priest named Melchizedek. 600 years before the law was required and eventually fulfilled in Christ, Abraham gave voluntarily and he gave out of gratitude in order to honor God. Now fast forward to the New Testament. Get this, Jesus never commanded us not to tithe. In fact, he commended it a couple of times in Matthew and in Luke. But at the same time, he didn't command us to tithe. So you're going, okay, Eric, you're not answering this question at all. You're confusing this even more. But here's what Jesus did promise. Here's what he did promise. He promised that his blessing would be poured out on us in proportion to how we give. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. With the measure, listen to this, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So what is he saying? He is promising that when we give, the measure that we use to give will be the measure that we are blessed. In proportion to how we give, that is the way he will bless us. And again, the blessing is righteousness. The blessing is generosity. The blessing is faith, not material things. But he says it will be pressed down, shaken, of good measure, running over. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back. So we are blessed in proportion to how we give. So what did Paul say to the New Testament churches? We looked at Old Testament law and tithing predates the law. We looked at Jesus. Jesus didn't command it, nor did he uh, not, could not say we didn't have to. So where do we do? Let's go to Paul. Certainly Paul will answer this question, right? I mean, he wrote to the church. He wrote to us as the church. Well, here's the reality. This may surprise you, but tithing in Paul's letters is notably absent. It's not there. It's notably absent. Instead, here's what he instructs Christians to give. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, he says, I want you to give in keeping with your income. In other words, give as much as you are able. And give as your, increase, as your, as your income increases, your giving increases. That's what generous living looks like. But then he also wrote to the church in Galatia, and he said this. Galatians 6, 6. He says, let the one who is taught the word share how many good things? So y'all said that really weak. What did he say? All good things with the one who teaches. That sounds a little more than 10%, doesn't it? What is he talking about? He's, he's driving us to live generously. He's saying, I'm not putting a number on it because if I put a number on it, oftentimes we'll go legalistic with it. 
But he's saying, I want you to offer all that you can in keeping with your income. You've got to put all these scriptures together in keeping with your income. The one who talks, give all good, share all good things. Yet Paul made it clear. And I want you to, I want, you've got to grasp this. Paul made it very clear that there are things that we can do with our money that are far more valuable than giving to the church. You're going, wait a second. Pastors can't say that, can they? Yeah. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote to a pastor named Timothy, and he gave some outlines and some guidelines for what he meant by this and what I mean by this. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a pastor, and said that he talked about the fact that families, get this, families should take care, should take responsibility for caring for their relatives who can't provide for themselves. And then Paul goes on to say, so that the church can provide for those who don't have relatives to take care of them. So get what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you have a family member, and he talked about widows and orphans primarily, but if you have a family member that can't provide for themselves, Paul tells Timothy, tell the church it is greater for them to provide for the needs of that family member and give less to the church in order to provide for that family member than it is to give it all to the church and not provide for their family member. Because, listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8. He says, if a person doesn't provide for his family's basic needs, get this, if you don't provide for your family's basic needs, Paul says he has denied the faith and he is even worse than an unbeliever. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? 1 Timothy 5.8. If you're not providing for your family's needs, because here's what Paul was envisioning, and I have no doubt was probably happening. People were so overwhelmed with the grace of Christ, so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that they were just like, hey, look, God, you take it all. And people were denying the basic needs of their family members. And Paul is reminding Timothy to teach the church, listen, your first and foremost responsibility is to provide for the basic needs of your family. And if you don't, you're acting, you're worse off than an unbeliever. So how do we take all of that and say, what, is, uh, what do we give? Here's, the, here's what we do. We have to understand, first and foremost, that money is a stewardship. Money is about stewardship. What we give is about stewardship. And along with our time, along with our treasure, along with our talents, along with our abilities, our relationships, they're all stewardships that God has given us. He's saying, these are gifts I'm giving you. I want you to steward them well. So what does that mean? It means that we, in order to be good stewards, we should take our money and use it for the glory of God. That's what that means. We start by giving a portion of our income and see that every dollar we give is an opportunity to glorify God. That's what that means. So I want to give you just some New Testament principles for giving. I'm not going to answer exactly how much. That's between you and God. But what I do know and what I do think is clear in the New Testament is that there are principles for how we are to give. And these are the principles. First and foremost, always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice, and you can't outgive God. Always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice, you can't outgive God. I think those three principles should drive every single one of us in our giving to the church. Always a portion. What does that mean? That means we are, we are, I believe that we are command not commanded i mean the the tithe the 10 the 10 percent is not commanded but i do believe it serves as a good baseline for giving 
But I also know and believe that there are times where we need to take some of our 10% to provide for a family member that can't provide for themselves. And sometimes we need to take more than our 10% and give because that's what God's called us to. That's where always a sacrifice comes in. And see, that's where Paul says that we are to decide in our heart what we're to give. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 9, you are to decide in your heart. In other words, you need to go and seek and pray and ask God what you're to give. You're not to give what some pastor tells you or anybody else. You're to give what God tells you to give. But I do believe it's always a portion. And a portion tends to be a lot more than a tip, right? The problem is we talked about earlier, we think we're generous, but we aren't, we aren't because far too many people tip instead of, instead of give a portion of what, they, uh, of what God's blessed them with. But I believe it's always a portion. And you need to prayerfully determine that portion. But sometimes a sacrifice. So always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. What do I mean by that? I believe sometimes God asks us to give more. That's where prayerfully seeking and asking God what you're to give and how you're to live generously. When he tells you, my best advice is to obey. Because obedience, Scripture says, is, is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. So when you've prayerfully sought God and say, God, what portion am I to give? And he gives you a portion. Sometimes he asks us for a sacrifice. And the best thing we can do in those moments is to obey. But here's the problem. The problem is that we often think all of our money is ours. So always a portion is a sacrifice. Does that make sense? Because we think it's all ours to begin with, always a portion equals a sacrifice to us. But I think the principle in the New Testament is first and foremost, there's always a portion that every single one of us are called to give. And then sometimes he asks for a sacrifice. And the third thing is you can't outgive God. You just can't. In Malachi, God has invited us to test him. Jesus promises that he would bless us proportionally to how we give, the measure that we're given. So in other words, when you and I give to God, he multiplies. When we give our talents, he multiplies. When we give our, our time, he multiplies. When we give our treasure, he multiplies. When we live generously, God multiplies. Again, this only works in God's economy. I don't understand how it works. I, don't, I can't grasp how God works it, but he always does. I can tell you over and over and over again, times in our marriage and our lives where God provided when it didn't seem like there was a way. Why? Because we determined very early in our marriage there will always be a portion. And when God asks us for a sacrifice, we will obey. And we knew the promise that we can't outgive God. And so, just some practical, I'm going to close out with some practical considerations. First and foremost, I believe that, that first we give to our local church first. This goes back to what we talked about last week, being planted in the church. It means that we're going to invest in the work of God in our local congregation. And, and I believe that's, a be, that's probably the best application of Galatians 6.6. 6. Uh, that I can think of. But since the local church is the primary source of our teaching, it should be the primary recipient of our giving. Second thing is this. Give regularly and deliberately. Give regularly and deliberately. Paul told the Corinthians to set aside money on the first day of every week. 1 Corinthians 16.2 
Giving to the church should not be a spontaneous decision. It shouldn't be something that you show up in on Sunday morning and say, well, I think I may or may not give today. It should be something that we do deliberately. We do regularly. Why? Because we've prayed about it. We've decided in our hearts what we're going to give. See, deciding in your heart doesn't happen in the moment. It happens Monday through Saturday. That's where we decide in our hearts. It happens the day we get our paycheck. That's when we decide in the moment what we're going to do. Instead, here's what I would encourage you to do. Ideally, with your budget in hand, begin to pray and say, God, what is the portion that I'm to give? And then be obedient to that. Give regularly and deliberately. The third thing is give cheerfully without compulsion. This is all coming straight from, from Scripture. Give, give cheerfully without compulsion. Because here, I, I believe that how we give is of utmost importance to God. As with, as with everything, we often look at the outward appearance, but what does God look at? The heart. God looks inwardly. He looks at the heart. If you're giving to impress people, don't give. It's going to be a waste of your time and your money. If you're giving because you feel pressured or coerced, don't give. You're missing the point. That's what Paul says. Here's the point. He says, God loves a cheerful giver, but he... And he specifically says that we should not give out of compulsion. Shouldn't do it. But it doesn't say that if we're not cheerful, we shouldn't give. He just says God loves it when we give cheerfully. Because I can tell you over the years, there have been times where I have written a check or gone online and, and given a donation that I was not cheerful about it. I can promise you that. There have been many times where I'm like, okay, God, I'm doing this out of obedience, but I don't like it. <laughs> Why? Because God loves it when I'm cheerful, but I wasn't doing it out of compulsion. And so I want to look at those circles one more time. Look at these cycles. Can we pull that back up, Colin? We, each and every one of us, have a choice. Because here's the reality. God supplies. God supplies. He supplies it all. And we have a choice of whether or not we live in a cycle of scarcity or a cycle of abundance. The cycle of scarcity says we're going to consume first. And when we consume first, we begin to lack. And it always happens. Every time in my life where we've consumed first, there's always lack. And then it creates fear. But God says, this is what we do. As Christ's followers, this is what we do. We live generously. And by living generously, the first thing we do is we give. And when we give, God multiplies. And when God multiplies, our faith grows. And to help us put this into practice. Inside your bulletin uh, this morning was a, uh, a card, and it looks like this. It's called the three-month gener generosity challenge. And the only reason it says three months is because it takes about three months to develop a habit. That's the whole purpose of that, three months to develop a habit. And you should have gotten this in your bulletin. And, and this is just a way, this is not a legalistic thing we're wanting to do. You don't have to fill this out. This is just part of what we believe we're supposed to do is to equip the saints and this is just one way we're going to try to equip you in order to begin practicing generosity. To begin living generously, as Paul tells us to do. And so, um, so basically, here's the, I just want you to look at the next steps section there. It's on a page where you fill it out. And here it is. The first and foremost that I, thing I want you to, and I'm asking you to do is to pray and seek what portion God would ask you to give. That's the first thing. 
I don't want anybody to fill it out today unless you've already prayed and already seek and already know. But I just want you to pray and seek and ask God what he would have you to do. Because as we've determined today, God wants us to decide in our heart what we're to give. And then complete, you can complete the card, place an offering in the next few weeks. And then the third thing is to begin to return a portion of your income, uh, either here on Sunday mornings when we receive the offering, or you can do it online. But the fourth thing is I want you to watch as God deepens your faith, as you begin to put Him first, and He begins to supply your needs. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, this entire message makes no sense. It simply doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Why would anyone give away any of their income? And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I get it. And the reason we give is because of what Christ has done for us. And the reason we give is because of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He gave his life for our sins. And he says that he will forgive you of your sins if you simply place your faith and trust in him. You do so by faith. So if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because until you do, this whole idea of being generous doesn't make any sense. But for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, I just want you to relish in the fact that Jesus died for you. That he generously gave his life so that he could produce an abundance of generosity within us. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help us to seek you this week to determine what you're calling us to do and how you're calling us to give, how you're asking us to live generously, and then give us the strength and the grace to actually obey what you tell us to do. And Father, my prayer is that no one in this room would, would feel compelled or coerced or pressured apart from your Holy Spirit working in their hearts right now, but that none of the words that have been spoken this morning would compel anyone or coerce anyone but only your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to invite our ushers forward and we're going to receive our offering uh, before we respond to God in worship because one of the things that we talk about in Scripture, uh, Scripture talks about is that giving is an act of worship. And we respond to the preaching of God's Word through our giving. So you guys can go ahead and receive the offering. But here's what I want you to do. If, you are, if you're a guest and you would like to receive Christ, or maybe you've been here for a long time, there's a box on there that says, I received Christ today. I want you to check that box. Because we'll follow up with you and help you take your next step in being a follower of Jesus. Because the reality is none of this makes sense apart from that. And when we're done receiving our offering as an act of worship, we're going to stand and we're going to worship in response to God. Because He has been so generous to us. He's been so good to us. And so, Father, take the offerings that's received and multiply it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.